So glad you chose to spend a Christmas Eve with us and excited to spend a little bit of time in God's Word. My name is Scott Kego. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and we've been in a series uh, just for the last uh, month working through the original songs of Christmas. Now, you realize that we didn't come up with the idea about singing about Jesus' birth. In fact, it's something that's found in the original accounts of Jesus' birth. In the book of Luke, you can read about different responses that where the, the individual broke into song after finding out about Jesus' coming. You can probably guess some of them. The first one's the obvious. Mary, upon finding the news she was going to give birth, broke into song. The second one, a little less obvious, it was kind of an elderly barren couple that found out Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth that they were going to give birth. That was a a big surprise to them. They broke into song about the coming Messiah as well. And then last week, we spent some time talking about the angels. You remember, if you have a nativity scene, they're the ones singing above the, the nativity scene, celebrating as well with the shepherds. And so this evening, We have one last song to look at, and this is probably the the most obscure. It's a guy named Simeon we're going to talk about, a guy named Simeon that we read about in the account found in Luke chapter 2. If you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles there with me, it's so much easier to talk about this if we're looking at the text together. We're going to have some fun looking and exploring about his response to Jesus Christ, the birth of the Messiah. Let me pray as we dive in. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance already to be together and just just in the fellowship and singing of your praises uh, this evening, I ask now that we'd have an opportunity to slow down and really enter into this story after what Chad mentioned, that all the gifts have been purchased, all the errands have been run. We can slow down and really engage in what it was like to encounter the Messiah firsthand. Pray that you'd speak to us through this text and that you'd be just moving and working in hearts. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So while you're, you're turning there, Luke chapter 2 or in verses 25 through 34, I want to give you a little backdrop to the, our story. It's actually fascinating because this is an account of Jesus' very first time going to church. Maybe that's an account for some of us here tonight, but for him, this was the very first time he's been to church. He's officially 40 days old, and you discover that the trip that it took to get him to church with Mary and uh, Joseph was a 140-mile trek, so it was probably a little bit further than most of us had to go to get to church this evening. So his very first time, he's there in the temple in Jerusalem a huge center, if there's anybody here that's been to Israel, pretty impressive still to this day, that was literally built with one intention to be a place to worship God. So Jesus, kind of fascinating, that it's literally God in the flesh is being brought to church where they celebrate and worship him, but most of the people there completely miss it, as you would guess, but not Simeon. A couple other little details was Mary wasn't allowed to attend church for the first 40 days after giving birth because she was considered from Old Testament law as unclean. So the first thing that she had to do is she had to give a sacrifice, an actual purification sacrifice. And it's fascinating that you'll read in the couple verses before where we're starting that she gave either a turtle dove or pigeons as a sacrifice, which was considered an exception clause for the poor. 
She couldn't afford to give the lamb that was required. So it's interesting that even the the parents of Almighty God couldn't even afford to go to church and give the sacrifice. And so this is the the backdrop to the scene where Simeon enters in kind of a, a fun account. Take a look with me in verse 25. What we learn about Simeon says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We'll stop there just for a second. It doesn't tell us a whole lot. In fact, this is the only time that Simeon's mentioned in the Bible. It doesn't tell us a whole lot of details about him. It doesn't tell us what he does, where he's from, who his family is. I find it fascinating that it focuses on, and we learn a little bit later that he's elderly or getting to the end of his life, it focuses on more about his faith than what he does. How fascinating is that as you get closer to the end of your days that that's really the one thing that really matters when it comes to conclusion. A few things that are said about him that are really marks that set him apart or make him unique. The first thing it says that he's righteous. Now this is a tricky thing to, to read because you have other verses, if you've spent time in Scripture, you have other verses such as Romans 3.10 that says, None is righteous, no, not one. Or Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet this man's described as righteous. What causes a person to be righteous back then and righteous now isn't our actions It's whether or not we're robed in the righteousness of God. So it's not based on on his righteousness or anything he did. What they're pointing out is he's a man that's put his faith and trust in the coming Messiah. Therefore, the lens that God sees him through sees him as righteous. It also describes him as devout. Looked up that word this week and it means reverent or careful. In other words, very concerned about God and what he thinks about things. Reverent and careful to live in alignment with what God's plans are for his life. He didn't live irresponsibly. I would suggest at this point in the life of Israel, it had been 400 years since they had heard anything from God. They're living under heavy Roman rule. If ever there was a time that you could have an excuse to think, oh, I can just do what I want, nobody's paying attention, this would have been the time. But instead, it says that he's devout. You see, because somebody that's been rescued is very concerned with what the one who rescued them wants for their life. So he's he's considered both righteous, devout. He goes on a couple other things. It says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, consolation, console, you use that when you're dealing with somebody going through grief. He was waiting for what Isaiah 40 describes would console Israel, which was the coming Messiah, which I already mentioned. He's put his hope, says he's literally waiting. It's today the day, it's today the day, it's today the day. He's waiting for that coming Messiah. Last thing it mentions there, which is probably the most important thing, is it also says the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You see, we don't come to recognize our need for a Messiah unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to that fact. So a lot of times people read the scripture and pick out different heroes, different people that are the favorite, but truth is, the more I've studied this book, there's really only one hero. It's just God. 
He's the single hero. Anybody that's even righteous or, or devout, it's only because God has chosen to reveal himself to them. My prayer and hope is even for this evening that some people, even here, for the first time, might have layers peeled off their eyes to encounter the Messiah that's come. So these are some characteristics, not necessarily a, 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 somebody of note. Sometimes they talk about the Simeon being a priest. I don't really see it in the text. But here's the, the big idea. What made him extraordinary was the fact that the Holy Spirit was working inside of him. So he's waiting for something as an ordinary guy. Look in verse 26, what he's waiting for. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, which I mentioned, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now considering it's Christmas Eve, I'm thinking in this room there's a few kids that are pretty excited to see what's under the tree tomorrow. Are there any kids in the front row? Are you guys excited to see what's under the tree? Are you guys excited to see some people who exchange gifts are pretty jazzed about tomorrow morning? In fact, my wife and I the other day we were wrapping our gifts and he heard some kind of noise outside of our, our, our door and I, I, of our, our room. And I opened the door and there's Alex and Sienna. They're all cuddled in like uh, blankets and pillows just waiting outside of the door as if they're going to just camp out until Christmas morning. I'm not really clear on what they are doing, but definitely excited about the celebration. And the big question for any kid that's important for you to ask is, are the gifts going to be worth the wait? That's, that's a mature response to gifts. Are the gifts going to be worth the wait? I was, uh, saw that this image that somebody passed on to me, like uh, the idea of a sock. Remember as a kid, remember as a kid when you get a, a pair of socks, like you're kind of like, eh. But look at this progression. As age progresses, the happiness meter in getting socks, anybody else at this stage of life? You kind of like you kind of like getting a new set of socks, you know, some thick woolly ones, you know. You can, especially in this weather, like, and, and so th- this is a this is a true fact. This is this is a scientific. Um, I'm kidding, but the the idea is the question is whether it's worth the wait. Well, a unique thing had happened to Simeon. This is what happened to him: is somehow we don't know exactly how, but the Holy Spirit told him that he wouldn't die before he was, had the opportunity to encounter the Messiah with his own eyes. Isn't that pretty cool, like thinking about that? I was reading one commentator, and it was interesting that they brought up this point, was the fact that what would be the response of that? He said, maybe fearless living. The fact that you're like, all of a sudden, hey, I can, I can walk out in traffic because... I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. Like someone, I was playing this out a little bit further. Here's a, a picture. I wonder if that was, was Simeon, you know what I mean? He's just like, hey, what's going to happen? Uh, when there's something on the, his plate he shouldn't eat, and his wife's like, no, don't eat that. That's bad. No, well, don't worry about it. You know, like here, here's the idea was he was told he wasn't going to die. Maybe the introduction of extreme sports, we don't know. But, 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 but here, here's the, the picture, the idea he was putting his hope in something. He was, putting, he was living as if, man, this is going to be worth the wait. We're going to see in the next section whether or not it was, but I was thinking about that. How would we respond to knowing about Christ's coming? Now, he's come once, but he's also promised that he's going to come again. We're told in Scripture that nobody knows the day and hour that he's going to return 
But I wonder what, it, what effect it had on Simeon. I would suggest that there would be a degree of urgency, that there would be a degree of intentionality because you're like, I know he's coming soon. I don't know when, but I, I'm waiting for it. I wonder if that's maybe a lesson we could learn from Simeon, living with intentionality, living with a, a degree of urgency to our days. That's why I'm guessing how he lived. Will it be worth the wait? Take a look in the next section, verse 27, his response. It says, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Pretty cool. You see this, that the Spirit nudged him to be there in the temple that day. If there's anybody here that's walked with Christ, there's certain things that happen in your day you're like, I can't point to this as coincidence. The only thing I can point to is God orchestrated that. He perfectly planned that. And I think that's what happened here with Simeon. And I think if we had an open mic up here, there's quite a few folks that could come and say, man, this is something that happened in my week or my last month or the last year that you're like, man, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done that if I tried. I shared the story one time. I'll revisit it because there's kind of a part two to it uh, that I wanted to mention. My friend Joe had one of those situations that you couldn't coordinate if you tried. He was actually talking with his sister who was in the process of selling her home. And in that process, she was getting a little panicked because they were also, her and her husband were also building a new home. And so they were dependent on selling their, their home. This was in Illinois where homes don't sell fast, like here in California. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, they're selling it, and he, my friend, just in his prayer time, because he knew his sister doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, was just saying, man, God, it would be so cool if you just sold her house and just to show her how much you care about her. And in his prayer time, he sensed God was saying, why don't you call her, tell her her house is going to sell today, and it's going to be me just showing her how much I love her. And he's like, uh, I don't know if I should make that call. You know, real spiritual like us pastors are. And, uh, and so he decides, though, he says, all right, I'm just going to go for it. He calls her up, calls her, says, listen, just had, had, was talking to God, and he said, your house is going to sell today. And uh, if you don't mind, just give me a call when it sells. And, uh, and she's like, cuckoo, sure. And, uh, and, and so if a pastor's telling this, you can guess where it's going to go. But, uh, but, but here, here's how it played out. So later that evening, he said he even forgot that he had made that phone call, kind of had lost track of it. He gets a call from her, and he's like, oh, I wonder what she's calling about. And, uh, and she calls, and she's like, Joe, you're not going to believe it. The house, somebody that walked through the house, did a walk through like two months ago, came back, made an offer. We agreed on something. The house sold today. It's like, just awesome. And Joe's like, well, that was just God trying to show you how much he loves you. Now, the question is, is that a coincidence or is there a God that's maybe involved and concerned about his people? I was talking to him about the story. Actually, just this afternoon, I was saying that I was telling that story. And he said, oh, you didn't hear the follow-up of that. Uh, my, my, my sister had a friend that was having trouble selling her house. So, so he said, well, so she had him call Joe also. Joe's never met her before. And, 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 said, and said, hey, can you, do, you, do you mind? I heard when you pray for this, this happens. 
So he's like, hey, he had a chance to just talk to her, tell her about Jesus a little bit, and, she, and, and talk to her about that, and said, sure, I'll pray for your house to sell. At the end of the prayer, he said, you know, uh, just so you know, he's going to just show you how much he loves you. It's going to sell in the next few days. And, uh, and she's like, really? So sure enough, a couple days later, gets the phone call from this lady. So if you have a house that's having trouble being sold <laughs> for the right amount of money, I'll give you Joe's number. No, I'm just kidding. But what I, I love about that is the idea of a God that's interested in even this elderly man's last hopes for his life. This elderly man, man, I would love to see the Messiah before I go. I would love to see him. And what does he do? Does the nudge, gets him to the temple, perfect time, right when they're walking in, immediately reveals. I don't know how that worked. Uh, like if, if there's like light, a glow around Jesus or what was happening, uh, probably not. But either way, he showed up, picks up the baby. I was playing that out in my head. Like how freaked out would you be if you're marrying Joseph and some old guy's like picking up your baby? I pictured the scene from Lion King. Do you guys remember this? Like you're, 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 like, you're like, what's he doing with my kid? And, and, and so, but then listen to what happens. When he sees this baby, he breaks into song. He breaks, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He goes into a number of different things, some pretty awesome things that are said. My eyes have seen your salvation. It was no longer something he just heard about or was anticipating. He literally saw him with his own eyes. He goes on, he says that you've prepared. This isn't something God stumbled on on a last-ditch effort. Salvation is something that was prepared from the beginning. He points to in the presence of all people. In other words, for everybody. It's an invitation for every single person, if you have breath in your lungs, to embrace the salvation of Jesus Christ, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. I'm guessing a lot of us in this room aren't Jewish. That would then qualify you as being a Gentile. A light is pointing out the fact that otherwise, apart from Christ, we would have no idea what a mess we're in. We'd have no idea that our sin has separated us from a perfect God and we can't fix our situation. That's the predicament mankind is in. But in God's kindness, he says, I'm sending Jesus Christ to be the light for you to recognize that need for a Savior, someone to fix the problem you couldn't fix on your own. So he's celebrating all these different things. Lots of great theology in here. Glory to your people, Israel. In other words, an honor for Israel to be able to say, yes, the Messiah came from our people. He points to all those things. But the piece that I wanted to point out the most in that was his statement that he says, your servant can depart in peace. Your servant can depart in peace. You see, none of us are ready to depart life, experience peace, until we've experienced Jesus Christ. See, it's not until we've seen the salvation of Christ till we're ready to depart in peace. The peace doesn't come if you haven't embraced Christ. That's why he's saying, oh man, I have no fear of death as he's talking about this. I'm ready to go. 
I'm ready to depart because my eyes have seen the salvation of Jesus Christ. And my hope for everybody in this room that there wouldn't be a single person here that hasn't had their eyes open to see and to recognize that the one hope for peace between you and God is this baby. The one we sing about, the one we're still talking about 2,000 years later, the one that divides time, B.C., A.D., like that's the one that it all hinges on. That's the one that it all hinges on. Your servant can depart in peace. Impossible to leave this earth in peace without seeing Jesus first. Like the story of American soldiers that were found in a Nazi concentration camp just at the end of the war, the fascinating part of the, about the, the story was that they got word that the Allied forces had won, these soldiers, American soldiers, got word that the Allied forces had won three days before the Germans got the news. So they had three days just kind of playing the part, living out life in the concentration camp. But can you imagine in those three days, all of a sudden these guys have a skip in their step, Right? All of a sudden, they're not, they're not so concerned about their, the, the, the miserable conditions they were in. They weren't so concerned because they saw what was at the end line. They knew in advance, so therefore, they could experience peace. And I was thinking about that picture even with this. Once we've embraced Christ, man, all of a sudden, the things, the situations that we're in, the hardships, the drama, the family issues, the whatever we're going through, it's like, man, then you can experience peace peace. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. My question is whether or not it was worth the wait. I don't know. From the tone of his voice, it sounds like it was, I would suggest. He ends with a couple last thoughts that we'll conclude with. Verse 33 says, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for the sign that is that and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, so that through so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Can't imagine Mary and Joseph still trying to figure out like what what's going on here this baby that i'm that that we're raising is the messiah like i imagine a lot was still sinking in even after 40 days of his life on earth and so he's to some degree giving a little bit of encouragement a little bit of forecasting of what's to come probably the hard truth is there in parentheses and a sword will pierce through your own soul also in other words most would say that that's probably referring to to mary at some point having to see her son hung on a cruel cruel Roman cross as a substitute for our sins. Most likely a little bit of anticipation. It's going to be hard for you. If you've seen the the Passion of the Christ, you might remember some of those scenes with Mary watching the whole thing go down, how heartbreaking that was. In anticipation, he's saying, man, it's it's going to be hard for you. But he brings up a couple points, and I've t- titled this section, Jesus Demands a Response, because I would suggest that he's kind of g- giving a little bit of a heads up. Listen, he's not going to be accepted and embraced by everybody. He says, appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, says thoughts from many hearts will be revealed, a sign that is opposed. In other words, the idea is this, it's hard 
to be neutral about Jesus. It's hard to be neutral about Jesus. He pushes people to come to a decision what you're going to do with them. It's, it's one of those things he says, listen, he says a sign that is opposed. Have you seen and experienced that? It's like he, it, sometimes in, in a conversation, the best way to end the conversation is just that simple name, Jesus, Jesus. I often find that in conversations when I'm meeting somebody, I'll mention that I might, it might come up that I'm a pastor at a church in the area. And it's funny because it has one of two responses. It either ends the conversation really quickly or it really moves it on to like, oh, that's great. Tell me about your church, blah, 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 blah. Or, and so I was thinking about that as like, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. That's kind of like the, the response that you see when you bring up Jesus Christ is the same idea. It's kind of like asking somebody, so in the last election, who'd you vote for and why? How's that go? Does that, does that lead to uh, some opposition, some difficult conversations, some, some maybe some tension? You, you see, the bringing up of Jesus Christ pushes us, wait a second, it reveals, look at the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. It's either going to reveal a hard heart that's saying, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to fix myself. I'm building my resume to someday show God of all the great things I did. Or that's, that heart is revealed. Or the heart is also revealed, the one that says, man, I can't fix myself. I'm a mess. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I can't solve this sin thing. I can't get right with God, a perfect God on my own. I need Jesus Christ. I'm like Simeon, I'm celebrating Jesus' birth. So I would suggest, just as we wrap up now, there's really two ways to kind of approach this. One is the response of Simeon, the response of Simeon that's like, man, I can depart because the peace has arrived. You can, uh, tomorrow morning you'll be holding up the baby in the manger, like the, the, the scene from Lion King. But he, the, the second idea is the person that's saying, nope, I'm not budging. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to try to earn it. I'm going to try to fight harder. I'm going to, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to solve my stuff on my own. My hope is this Christian that th- this, this Christmas that there would be a season of celebration like Simeon that even moves us to sing. Let me pray before we do that. God, I thank you so much for this story and this picture into Jesus' first visit to church. Thank you so much for Simeon's response and Simeon's example of what it takes, somebody that's put their hope in you, somebody that's thrown themselves before you and said, I can't do this, I can't fix myself. Thank you for that picture that he represents. I pray that this Christmas it would be one of celebration where we recognize what an awesome, awesome gift that's worth every bit of the weight. Praise you for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, again, I just wanted to thank you so much for spending Christmas Eve with us. I pray that you have a wonderful Christmas with your friends and family, that you experience the peace that only the Messiah can offer. Amen. God bless you. Mm -hmm.